Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topic and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. Today, we are going to speak with a business attorney about how deals on privately held companies compare to today versus a year ago. But before we do that, and here's some very interesting stories, we're going to hear from our show sponsor, Sunbelt Business Advisors. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with Dave Peterson, attorney and partner at Dunlap Seeger, a prominent law firm in the heart of Rochester, Minnesota, and a sponsor of this second edition of my book, Poised for Exit. Dave, welcome to Poised for Exit. Glad to be here, Julie. I'm glad that you could make it. I um, was just thinking back on when we first met each other. I guess it was a few years ago now. It was like right about, I think, the onset of the pandemic or just before that, right? Yeah, I think it was right about at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, so now that we work in a virtual world, even though we're not in the same market, um, it's been fun working with you and you've done such an amazing job for my clients. They just love your service and love your firm. and and so that kind of prompted me to want you to participate, not only in the book, but on the show. So I'm glad you're here. Well, like I said, it's great to be here. And, and it's been fun to work with you as well. And uh, just to be able to see, you know, your process and to, uh, you know, work with your clients and, and uh, have that opportunity to see some of them through to an actual exit. Exactly. That's what it's all about, right? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about exit planning and legal mit- risk mitigation and things like that today. Um, but before we do that, let's just talk about you for a couple minutes. Tell us about your background. How did you get into practicing law? It'd be interesting to hear that. Yeah, so I am a, um, uh, well, I was born in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And I like to say that I was exiled to Wisconsin for 17 years. So I grew up in <laughs> Uh, uh, Mosinee, Wisconsin, a small town by, by Wausau, actually a really good place to grow up as a Viking fan. Mm. Uh, and then after, after high school, I, I came back to Minnesota and I'm a double gopher. I uh, got my degree, undergrad degree in finance at uh, U of M and Carlson school, and then stayed for law school. Uh, why I went to law school, uh, is kind of a weird story. I was in high school and I, I, I don't know that I really knew exactly what I wanted to do, but uh, I recall having a, a, an English teacher who I, I found myself getting into a lot of arguments with and 
you know, maybe even had sent me to a few detentions because of those arguments. And at one point, she just flippantly said, you ought to be a lawyer. And uh, it kind of resonated actually with me. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's cool. a good idea. You know, maybe 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 take some of my naughtiness and put it to work for me. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, really, it, it, that, was, that was the first time it kind of planted the seed. Um, and uh, you know, I always like business as well. And so, it, it, going into undergrad, I, I wanted to to do business and uh, parlay that into law school, and that's what I did. Uh, out of law school, I. Uh, I left the Twin Cities and I, I took a job at a, a law firm in Chicago, uh, a firm called Chapman & Cutler, a uh, great firm, I had a really great time there, uh, was there for about four years and my wife and I, uh, uh, and I was doing, uh, I was working in what's called their banking department, uh, but you saw a lot of different deals really through the eyes of a bank and so it was, a, it, was a, it was a fun time to be there and I learned a lot, worked with a, a great great group of attorneys there. Um, started having kids and my wife and I decided, you know what, now is probably the time to, to make the move back to Minnesota. I did not, I thought I would be back in the Twin Cities, uh, but life kind of puts you in different spots. My family's all in the Twin Cities now. My parents have since moved from uh, uh, central Wisconsin after I graduated high school and, and my wife's from La Crosse. So Rochester was a nice little middle point for, you know, between grandmas and grandpas. Uh, and so I explored, you know, a couple different firms here in Rochester and uh, we found, we found our, our fit uh, and that was in 2006 and I've been here ever since. And so um, I've been, uh, uh, I was at a, uh, I was at another firm uh, for about eight years here in Rochester and then, and now I've been with the Dunlap firm for about eight years. And my practice is really centered around business, although it, it kind of uh, involves um, kind of three main areas. I would say business, general business, M&A, mergers, acquisitions. I do a fair amount of, of commercial real estate work as well. Uh, our firm actually has a, a captive title company called Title Services, which we really specialize in commercial real estate. So we do a lot of that. Interesting. Um, and then I do estate planning as well. And I, and I like to think that business succession plan at least succession planning at least for the at least for the you know the closely held business yes to be the intersection of those those main practice areas and so i i'm i'm likely not a a a master of any one of those areas but you know uh, it, having done a lot of work in all of those areas might make me uniquely qualified within the business succession arena Definitely. Well, I would say that you are just because of our, our interaction and the work that you've done for my clients. So very interesting. And I didn't know that you guys had a commercial real estate practice uh, and title company within your yeah. firm. That's really interesting too. So in a past life, I was in the title business. I don't know that we ever talked about that, but we did a lot of commercial. Yeah. Well, I certainly read about it in your book. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Anyways. So I know that you're seeing uh we, we talked about this before the show that you're seeing a lot of different types of transactions come through versus what you saw a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I asked some of the same questions of, of Josh Bobich, whose firm is also a sponsor of our, of our book called uh, best, best, um, best in Flanagan in Minneapolis. And, and, you know, they're obviously their market is different than your market, but there are similarities, right? And, and his stories are different than your stories. So honestly, I don't think 
that this is overlap at all talking about this content because we could go on and on about what you're seeing. And there's always about different perspective and different client databases and things like that. I know that you're working with some bigger companies. And so let's just talk about, you said something about valuations and, and that valuations are leaning more towards key people. So, so speak to that for a couple. Yeah. So yeah, a couple, a couple of trends, at least from what I'm seeing. Um, And I don't, I don't know that I'm uh you know, necessarily a, 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 an index of, of what's happening in the greater marketplace. But there seems to be a lot of cash out there. And it definitely is a seller's market for a lot of businesses. And that probably doesn't necessarily hold true for every business. But, you know, the, the, uh, the amount of cash that has been infused into our economy, and obviously we're seeing it, you know, maybe play out in terms of inflation. I mean, obviously just this morning, for example, we're hearing that Inflation might be even eight and a half percent, but that aside, you know there there is um, you know a lot of cash, but then there's also this force where we have you know labor market shortage, you know, and and yeah. and, I don't, and it seems to be that seems to be affecting nearly every business where you're yeah. hearing you know if you go around the table and you ask every business owner you know what what are your biggest challenges? I suspect. You know, the, the majority, if not the, you know, the, the super majority or even unanimously, they would say labor market concerns. And so when yeah. you start thinking about the value of businesses and what I'm seeing in deals is that there are businesses literally going to buy their competitors for the labor. And, and that, that's a little unique. Um, you, mm-hmm. I can't say that I've seen that much um, in the past. Um, you know, where they're, they aren't necessarily interested in the business because the problem is they've got, you know, the, the business may have tons of opportunity, but they don't, they, they can't, they can't deliver because they, yeah. they don't have the workforce. And so the acquisition, it's, it's interesting because, you know, traditional notions of the value of your company might be looking at your EBITDA or your, you know, maybe even your balance sheet or, or, uh, uh, you know, something along those lines. Here, it's something very different. It's your workforce. Yes. And so, you know, we were talking about that a little bit, uh, you and I. And, and yeah. so that's a, that's a unique thing, I, I think, at least in this marketplace. Now, how long that holds, who knows? I know. Well, honestly, I don't, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, you know, with the numbers that I've been reading. I mean, I think, I don't remember when it was, maybe two months ago or so. I was reading a, a, a report on workforce and the number of jobs available um, versus how many people are available to take them. And it was somewhere between seven and eight jobs available for every one person. Right. And it's probably more than that. Um, but that was just, you know, one perspective that I was reading about. And it was more was leaning more towards manufacturing and construction in terms of industry. But as far as valuing a company's workforce, how do you do that? Well, it, yeah, I mean, it certainly depends on, you know, the type of company, but I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, maybe uh, more of the, the, the white collar workforce, key employees, higher end, you know, you're probably looking actually at some of their employment agreements, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I know there's the, the notion that non-competes, for example, are not enforceable and, and they're, they're difficult to enforce. And there's certainly the trend nationally to do away with them. Um, they still are enforceable. And, Minnesota in certain, in, in, in certain cases. I tend to tell clients, at least business clients, don't think of non-competes necessarily in the sense of the, you know, their enforceability uh, as more than their deterrence you know, value. Um, and so, you know, for example, if you, if you have a 
workforce that has some restrictive covenants and not even non-competes. It, it, it's other restrictive covenants. If you have employment agreements where you have protective covenants for your workforce, non-recruits, non-recruit clauses and things like that. You know, those can be valuable assets to your company if you were to sell the stock of your company, for example, in, in those employment agreements, you know, continue with the company. And right. so those are interesting factors. And, and you know, in fact, uh, just earlier this, this week, I had a, a, a client that was emailing me about having uh, an employee sign or a new hire sign something with a non-compete. And, and where we ultimately landed was, well, we, we don't even really care about the non-compete as much as we care about the non-recruitment. Yes. You say, look, if you leave, just, just leave all the rest of our workforce alone. Right. You know, we don't really care if you compete with us. Just, you know, just yeah. don't try to, don't try to, you know, bring five people with you. And that's happening. That's happening with my clients. People are leaving and trying to take people with them. Yeah. Um, And so when we're talking about the enforceability, I know that that can be a problem depending on the market. But, you know, to your point about not just the workforce and and non-recruit, but what about intellectual property? You know, we don't want them to be uh, leaving and stealing clients and customers and, and, you know, proprietary information either. So you put that all in an employment agreement for a key person. Yes. Oh, certainly. Yeah. You'll, you'll have assignment of IP clauses. You'll have confidentiality, um, you know, non-solicitation, which is, it's not non-competition, but it's, it's, it's somewhat of a variation on those things. So mm-hmm. you know, again, depending on the, on the, on the company and, and it's, it's really understanding the value that you need to protect and, and, and yes. understanding the value of your business. Cause you don't necessarily need everything, right? you know, not every employee needs an eight page employment agreement. Right. With, with everything. It's, yeah. it's really understanding and, and what's palatable. Cause here's the other issue is it's absolutely an employee's, you know, uh, market in the sense that, you yeah. know, and, and they know it. And, and, and that's not to say that it's a bad thing. I don't mean that in a, in a, uh, um, you know, a negative sense, but you know, the employers don't have the leverage in negotiating these contracts right now. And so if you can, if you can get some protective provisions in your contracts, um, it, whether it's a new hire or whether it's a promotion, I mean, those should be things you should be looking at right now in, in a sense. It's one, one recommendation, I, I would say. But, you know, it, coming back to the original uh, conversation point, though, about the, the market, I, I, and it being a seller's market, I mean, valuation numbers are high. And, I'm, yeah. I, and, and I think... What, what we're also seeing, you know, also in the labor market is where we predicted the baby boomers were, were all supposed to have retired four, five, six, seven years ago, and they didn't. Now they're all leaving with the great resignation. Well, all, yeah. of those, all of those baby boomers that also own businesses are also now selling. And so the, because, the, frankly, the price tag is just too appealing uh, mm-hmm. from what I'm seeing, whether it's to, to a competitor, to private equity, to... Uh, key employees to yeah. um, to next generation or whoever it is, um, we just see a ton of it. When you okay, so let's talk about that for a second. When we are addressing the whole baby boomer uh, scenario, yes, I agree. Many of them are moving to sell. Some of them want to stay on. Some of them are being asked to stay on. Maybe even begged to stay on. Yeah, and I, <laughs> you know, and they may not want to. 
Uh, are you seeing that happening too, where sellers who, who would prefer to be out in a year or two are, are being asked to stay on longer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I can think of a deal I just did um, where that was a key point towards the end is the seller really did not want to stay on for much longer than maybe a year. And, right. and it, 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 it wasn't even economically, it wasn't even that big a part of a de- the deal. Um, but the, the, the buyer basically had the issue of, well, if you don't stay on, you know, for at least two years, who, who's going to run this, this thing? Right. And so, um, you know, ultimately the, the, the seller had to stay on. Sure. <laughs> I've seen that too. And, yeah. and, and many times it seems to be happening when an investor or investment group or private equity is buying a business and they really, they don't have anybody on their bench that fits the bill to run that company. And so they're asking the seller if they would remain until they can find a replacement, quote unquote, right? right. Um, and so that can happen too, where you, you'd think that, yeah, this is a great deal. I can cash yeah. out and go move on and do all the fun things I want to do and not have the stress anymore. Um, but that doesn't always uh, roll out that way. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Not all the time. So, of course, every deal is different, you know, the dynamics, but, you know, workforce is certainly a big challenge and a, and a huge factor right now and and okay so let's fast forward to 2023 we're hearing tell of you know a, a coming recession um how do you think this is going to impact the MA market in your opinion oh i, th- I think negatively I, I don't think there's any doubt about that um you know it, it seems like the fed is certainly you know we are destined for higher interest rates and i think we will see you know tightening certainly in the credit markets which will naturally I think, uh, affect some uh, liquidity in the m and I, I just think that's just going to be natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, is that all going to happen rapidly? I, I don't know. That's anybody's guess, I suppose. Right. Yeah, we don't know. Um, but but I, I think the organic, what I'll say organic um, M&A probably will still continue, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the, the family planning stuff. I mean, it, it, people aren't going to stop getting older. I mean, that's right. going to happen. I, I guarantee you that will happen. That is a guarantee. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, right? Yeah. <laughs> people will continue to get older. Right. And, 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 and I also think the great resignation will continue. I, I don't, yeah. I, I think that that trend is continuing. I think you know, as, as you, uh, you know, go to some of these warmer places in the winter, I, I go, and, I, and you do as well, you go to Florida, and, and I do as well. And, and so, oh, wow, has the population just exploded down, down there, and in yeah. other places, too, as I understand, you know, Texas, Arizona, and, and some of these warmer climates, I was just talking to somebody else about um, mm-hmm. Carolina coast as well. And, yeah. and, and I just think that that people are, uh, you know, I just think that trend is going to continue. It just seems like it will for a while. And so these, these business successions will naturally continue, but the, you know, maybe the private equity won't, won't all be there um, like it is in, in massive amounts. I was mentioning to you uh, when we were speaking earlier about, you know, at least first quarter, what we're used to is, um, uh, it being a little slower and, sure. and this first quarter is absolutely not. It, it feels like fourth quarter to us right now with the yeah. M&A stuff. Wow. 
Has was any of that uh, tax driven, or or was it just just because of where we're at right now with M and A? And I mean, I, I, other people that I know that are in the space that we're in, just not necessarily same discipline, different discipline, but everybody's hair is on fire. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I I don't I don't get the sense that that what we're seeing right now in Q1 is tax driven as much as it's cash and maybe um, a little bit of. I don't want to, panic is probably too hard of a, harsh of a word to describe it, but, you know, a, a little bit of acceleration mm-hmm. because of uh, anticipated rising rates. So let's, let's lock in now um, our debt, but definitely, you know, the second half of last year was, was, was fear on tax. Well, I mean, Q, Q3, there was a ton of the estate tax um, panic stuff. You right. Know? with the, uh, um, you know, some of the bills that were out there. Um, we saw that. And then, you know, there was, there was some major wealth transfer uh, trusts, you know, that were, were funded and whatnot. And, right. Um, is, are we going to see some of that again? I, I, I kind of doubt that for this year. Um, I, I, I haven't studied um, the, the latest budget proposal, but I haven't heard much about that at all. So let's switch gears real quick here before we wrap up the resource that you created, that your firm created for the Poised for Exit second edition has a lot to do with estate planning and tax planning. And I know that you also, um, you're also a part of, um, you know, the M&A side and do a lot of transactions as well. But you had alluded to at the beginning of the show how they're all interrelated and intersect with each other. And I couldn't agree more. I do uh, find many times when I'm working with business owners that the estate planning tax or ta- and tax planning side of exit planning tends to be somewhat neglected, if not completely neglected. Like they either have an estate plan, but they haven't looked at it in many years. And so it's completely outdated or they don't even have one. So could you um, maybe just share real quick a couple things that you're seeing that business owners are missing? that they maybe haven't thought of and what maybe an action item or two on what they could, what they could do regardless of, of whether it's estate planning related or just business law related. Yeah. I, I think on the estate planning side and you hit the nail on the head, it's too often um, th- that, that piece gets neglected. Um, they either don't have a plan or the plan they did, you know, is 20 years old and um, it's, it, it's uh it's kind of like cleaning out the attic, you know, it's, it's yeah. Always, yeah, we ought to do it. And then they never do it. The issue there is what I find is with business owners, it, it often is the estate planning review that teases out the business succession discussion, you know, particularly like, let's use an example where let's say you have, you know, three children, one may be working in the business, you know, the classic example is the farmer, but let's not go down that road. So you have one child that works in the, uh, in the business and the two are off doing something else. Okay. Well, you know, then it's always the question of, well, how, how do we want, you know, are we going to gift shares to the, to the, the child in the business? Are we going to sell those shares and what's fair? What's, what's, what's equal versus equitable. And, you know, but at least it teases out that discussion. Right. Um, and so I, I think that if, if you have, if you have a business owner that it, it, it feels almost paralyzed by the thought of business succession planning, maybe the place to start is to start with a safe plan. And, and that too can 
be hard for people because it's the sense of mortality. It, it, I know. Business talking owners, about your death is not an easy thing to do. No, no one likes to talk about their mortality, but business owners especially have a, you know, a resilience to, to life in general, you know, they're bla- trailblazing entrepreneurs and, and um, that's, that's something for tomorrow always. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not that way anymore, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think that that is, yeah, I mean, it's not a, uh, I don't think it's a surprising recommendation, but I think it's a very important one. You know, the other one, and you had described this in one of your, your uh, stories in your book is you, you talked about somebody who had basically, um, uh, they had micromanaged everything to the point where they do, they did, they created a job for themselves they, yes. and they never had anybody. And so I, I, I and I, I, I should have flagged the page, but you, the way you described it, I thought was really spot on because you see that too often. And that mm-hmm. I really think people need, you know, business owners need to, they need to find time to step away and allow others to, to try to take over some of the jobs that they're doing yeah. and find ways to do that. Um, even if it doesn't run exactly the same as, as the way it will under them. And it won't. There will be okay. differences and there will be, There'll be things that, that, that fail, but you know, I think they'll learn a lot about themselves. And so there's a, there's a whole host of lessons that come from stepping away and delegating and owner dependency is definitely a problem and a value detractor. And it doesn't just apply to the smaller businesses. I have, I've seen it in many lower middle market and even middle market businesses. Um, That's another whole topic of conversation, isn't it? Oh yeah. Uh, but we've reached the end of the show. And so I just wanted to ask Dave, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you with website, email, what do you prefer? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can go to the, you can go to our website. Um, okay. Uh, Dunlaplaw.com. Uh, mm-hmm. You can email me at uh, DMP at Dunlaplaw.com or you can call me, you can tweet me, you can, I, right. I, I don't know. I, yeah. All different ways to get a hold of you. Well, thanks for, for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. Um, no, it no always idea. is. Thank you. So Thank for you. our listeners, you'll be able to uh, download this episode and all other episodes on the Poised for Exit website at poisedforexit.com. We're also on all the major podcast platforms. Next week, we are going to feature Ben Utecht, who is a national speaker and Super Bowl champion. He's going to be talking about culture as a value driver in M&A transactions. So you're not going to want to miss that show. Thanks again, Dave, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please join us again next time.